You're listening to Aesthetically Speaking. On this podcast, we're talking about all things branding, logos, colors, fonts, and the strategy behind it all. It seems like these days it's easier than ever to build an audience, but harder than ever to stand out online. My name is Rebecca, and I'm a brand strategist and designer. I'm here with my sister, Abby, a lawyer who needs a creative outlet. Together, we're going to talk about how to bring your brand to life. Welcome to Aesthetically Speaking, everyone. I have my first guest here today. This is Susie from the Female Leadership Collective. I am so excited for you to learn from her. She's a wealth of knowledge about business, balancing and leaving your nine to five and living abroad. So tell us, Susie, about yourself. Tell us how you started your business and a little bit about your story. Yes, thanks, Rebecca. And hi, everyone. I am Susie. As Rebecca says, I'm the founder of Female Leadership Collective. But I wasn't always that. So I actually come from a corporate background. And I'm sure we'll jump into that a little bit more. But I I did an economics degree at uni and went straight into banking for one of the biggest investment, well, the biggest investment bank in the world. So very, very corporate in London always in sales, but I kind of realized a few years in after I read this book called The 4-Hour Workweek that this life was not for me. (laughs) And it was a real struggle. And I'm sure we'll get into this mentally because, you know, my whole life I'd got the grades and I'd got the degree and everyone's telling me you need to go and work for this employer and this kind of thing. And everyone was impressed at parties with what I was doing. Mm -hmm. So it was a real mental battle to break away from that. But Anyway, long story short, I did it. I sold all my stuff, booked one-way ticket to Bali, and I had no business idea. No, I had savings. That's the one mm-hmm. thing I did. I saved for an escape fund, mm-hmm. landed in Bali, and just like started this whole adventure. And had you ever been to Bali before? What was? Why did you decide there over anywhere else in the world? Yeah. So actually what happened was when I quit my job, I wanted to just do something crazy, you know, like shake it up. I also had ended a seven year relationship in the same week as quitting my job. So it was literally like clear out time. Yeah. So I was like, right, I need to do something crazy, go on a trip somewhere. Mm -hmm. And for some reason, there wasn't really quite anything that I wanted, like the perfect thing that I needed, which by the way, I've now created a retreat for. But at the time, the only thing I could find was a yoga teacher training that kind of was like, oh, I'll go and try Mm -hmm. that, even though I don't necessarily want to be a yoga teacher. Mm -hmm. So I went and did that in Bali. Okay. Visited Bali and I was, I fell in love with this place and the girls were saying, you need to go and have a look at the digital nomads in Changu. So I went over, had a look at one of the co-working spaces. And as soon as I saw all these people working from their laptops, I'm like, they're real. This is real. This is possible. How can I possibly go back to this mm-hmm. old life, right? Yeah, this is a thing. I, like, I want to be able to do this too. Yeah, exactly. So that's really what made me choose Bali, particularly because at the time, this was pre-pandemic, at the time, it was a huge community of remote workers. And I really do believe in this whole ethos of you can't be what you can't see. And I thought if I immerse myself in these people who have all figured it out, make friends with them, learn from them, mm-hmm. then I'm surely going to have some opportunities come my way. And I was I was right. Yeah. So what was 
well, you keep going, but I was going to say like, what was the business that you decided to start once you got there and you were like, I don't have a business. I don't have a plan. How did that evolve? So there's a few different things that I did. And this is what I'd say when you are someone who hasn't started a business yet, get used to quitting (laughs) because the chances are the first business or the first way that you make money won't be the dream. Mm -hmm. And so you want to try things and fail fast, almost Mm -hmm. intentionally, if you feel like it's out of alignment. So the first thing I did was freelancing because I had sales background. So I was consulting and freelancing and helping people with their sales coaches Mm -hmm. and all sorts of business, really just anyone, (laughs) anyone that would have me. Yeah. So I did that, learned a lot, like got so much exposure to these businesses. And I was like, but I want to be in the CEO seat. I want to be driving the business. Like as a freelancer, it's slightly different, isn't it, Mm -hmm. to running your own business. I saw these inspirational people and I was like, I want to do that. Mm -hmm. So consequently, I saw so many people doing e-commerce in Bali, like lots of drop shippers making money on like selling weird things and just making a margin on them. And I thought, okay, maybe it's this, I'll try this. But I don't want to just drop ship some, any old product. Mm -hmm. So I created an e-commerce brand called Frank and Iris, where I sold um, screen glasses because I was so behind remote work. I had a podcast at the time about it. So these are those glasses that block the blue light. And I was so an advocate of wellness. And what I did was I was like, right, how can I get passionate about this? And I thought I'll build in a one-for-one charity model where for every pair of glasses someone buys, I restore someone's sight by giving a donation mm-hmm. uh, to this charity. And that felt amazing. A bit like Tom's. I don't know if you know the brand Tom's. Yes, I love that. Yeah. And so for me, I was like, yeah, this is great. I love it. Like, I love the creative side. I hired someone who was amazing that did our Instagram. We even like had a little little thing in Vogue, which was British Vogue, which was really cool. Oh my cool. gosh. Yeah. But and at the same time, I also got hired by a crypto startup full time to run their Asia sales. And mm-hmm. that was intense. Yeah. So I was burned out this whole time. And I loved the e-commerce brand. But I realized quite quickly that selling a $49 pair of glasses is not going to pay my salary for a mm-hmm. long time. You have to without sell a lot, lot of glasses to do that. Exactly without a lot of capital, without a lot of money on Facebook ads. And I just didn't have that. Yeah. So I was like, oh, I love this. This is my baby. It's taught me so many things, but we need to move on. Mm -hmm. And the same thing with the job. I did a year and I was like, I feel like I've replicated my banking career in an air conditioned room in Bali. Like You're like, I'm in Bali, but I'm doing the same thing. Exactly. You can run away from it all you want, but unless you sort out the root cause of a problem, Mm-hmm. it will follow you mm-hmm. and so at that moment I quit both things and I said to myself right uh, it's been I can't remember maybe like two and a half years by then mm-hmm. it's been two and a half years now is the time I've learned so many things what is the dream business and mm-hmm. I really just went into self-discovery mode spent some time in Uber mm-hmm. <laughs> and I um okay I, I thought right I'm so passionate about helping women always have been right I I have a lot of sales experience. Women really struggle often to get into the mindset and comfortable with selling. And it's such, it's heartbreaking to me because they've got such gifts and impact to make. So I wanted to bridge that gap. Yeah. I want to talk about more, but keep going. And just going into the type of woman that I want to help, I really Mm -hmm. wanted to help 
women who came from backgrounds like me, really high achieving Mm -hmm. uh, women who go into like these prestigious careers, but suddenly realize I can't raise my children like I wanted to because I'm chained to this desk. I don't want to do this commute. I don't feel good in this job. Like this was actually built in the past for a man and this isn't how I want to live my life. Yeah, I can Mm -hmm. do it, but it's not for me. And so I wanted to create some sort of way that they could get out of that, get the confidence and the courage Mm -hmm. and launch a business that allowed them, and we spoke about this when you came on my my podcast, that Mm -hmm. allowed them to get time freedom Mm -hmm. and then give them the sales skills and the strategy to equip them to do that. And so, yeah, long story short, I've made uh, a few online programs. I do one-to-one and I have the retreat. I created the retreat that I didn't have in Bali as well. So. That's the female leadership collective. I love that. Yeah. You created the thing that you needed, that you wanted to see Mm. in the world. I love that. Okay. So I want to dive into what you mentioned about women, particularly struggling with sales, because I do think that this is something that women can be so good at, and yet they seem to have a hard time with it. So talk to me a little bit about that. Yeah, there's so this is multifaceted. There's so many elements to this, but what's what the biggest one that I see is often that women think that they're taking from someone if someone pays them. Yes. And this kind of goes more into money mindsets more mm-hmm. than sales, but we just have to remember that actually sales and a transaction is a value exchange. Mm-hmm. And providing you are fully behind your product and you believe in it and you know it's good because if you don't that's a different issue right but providing you do then selling it for a certain sum of money is a value exchange and yes Mm -hmm. you're receiving money but Mm -hmm. they're receiving in in my case for example if someone buys my program they are receiving knowledge that can allow them to quit their corporate job Right. And make an income mm-hmm. where they can have freedom and travel around the world. What price would you put on that? Right. Right. So and that and that's so, the value. That you get the money yeah. and they get the value. And that's how it's supposed to work. Exactly. So I would say to anyone listening, if you identify this, just remind yourself what is what are you unlocking for this person by them purchasing it? What are they getting? For you, for example, if mm-hmm. when you sell your branding, someone is getting a professional brand they're like able to be seen as an authority they're able to make more money an impact help Mm -hmm. more people that's the value that they're paying for right Right. so it's like they're just throwing money at you (laughs) and then saying see you Rebecca yes yes (laughs) so that's one key thing that I see I love that it's so interesting because I often talk about branding as you're creating value, right? You're communicating the value that you're delivering to your clients. And so a better brand allows you to sometimes charge more or sign higher clients because there's more value to it. So it also helps with your sales because it gives you the confidence in that value exchange to say, Mm -hmm. oh yeah, this is worth the money that I'm charging for it, right? Yeah. So tell me a little bit what would you say is your favorite part of running your business right now? And what do you what do you want people to know about your brand specifically? Yeah, so my favorite part of running the business, I've got to say, is when my clients share wins with me. Like the first memory I had of this being really, really incredibly rewarding internally was when someone said they won their first client on my group program and they actually made back their fee. I love that transaction before they finished 
and mm-hmm. oh my god I went out that night and celebrated I felt so it felt so amazing and I'm like this is the kind of purpose that mm-hmm. I've been looking for that I missed in banking and so I would say just that impact creating something from an idea in my head that then actually has real impact on people's lives nothing could compare to that yeah so that's that one and then the second question was to do with my brand right can you just yeah, what do you yeah what do you want people to know about the female leadership collective brand what's the most important thing to you to communicate i think my my number one priority around this is the collective element the community element like it's got collective in the name right so this mm-hmm. was never about the susie show and my skill is always bringing different women together. And I can give a prime mm-hmm. example at the moment. I'm running. I don't know at the time this is published. It might be on or finished or whatever. But yeah, we'll do another one. I put together Female Startup Summit, which is seven women mm-hmm. doing seven workshops. And we're all collaborating together on that to grow our businesses. But at the same time, all these women are signing up to learn for free how to launch their own business. And so... Yes, I'm a business coach, but it was never just about me. I think that Mm -hmm. the power comes in showing these women stuck in corporate, all of these examples of women who have broken out and and created their own businesses. Like on that panel, there's women from the former lawyers, people from big four accountancy firms, and that just makes it stronger, cements Mm -hmm. it in other people's minds that they can do it if they can see more people than me. Yes. So yeah, it's really a collective energy and I I really leverage that in the programs as well Mm -hmm. so that the group lifts the energy so everybody's Mm -hmm. results are higher than they would be on their own. Yeah, I love that. What are some of the things that you do to encourage contribution from the community, like people commenting and helping one another? Because I feel like that's something that some businesses really struggle with when they want to have this brand that has this community aspect, but they start a Facebook group and it's just crickets. Yeah, I and that is a thing, right? Like that mm-hmm. does happen. Like the algorithm is a pain sometimes. But yeah, I would say it's first of all you have to go first as the leader. You have to set mm-hmm. the tone. So you need to be sharing people. You need to be embodying that culture yeah. because it's a cultural thing, right? Yeah. So the second thing is I will educate people on this as a coach. Mm-hmm. Like when people join my programs, I go for our culture. Like there's mm. six principles, like six or seven principles, different to different programs, but I will go through them. And one of them is always, if someone has a win on this program, it's everybody's win. And mm-hmm. just know that, yes, you might feel a little bit of envy come up when someone has a great win, but you just need to reframe that and say, this is proof that it's coming for me. And so as a business leader, it's important to kind of educate people on on the culture of the program and the brand because each each program has its own mini brand as well it does yeah they all have their own kind of culture yeah so really setting that tone and just saying it because sometimes especially in the early days if your brand isn't massively established people can feel the brand feeling but at the same time sometimes you need to say it (laughs) we stand so that it's really clear Yes. I tell people all the time, the best way to let people know what you're all about is to tell them. If you want people to think that you are a luxury coach, then say, I'm a luxury coach. Yeah. And obviously we can do that with design and stuff, but let's not overlook the basics of just saying, this is what I do, you know? Yeah. 
Exactly. 100%. I'm so curious because you quit your job without a business plan in mind. Mm-hmm. So if somebody is in a nine to five right now, when do you recommend actually putting in your two weeks notice and cutting the cord? Yeah, now. <laughs> <I'm joking>. <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I, so there's so many ways to do this. And so many, I see so many coaches being like, don't quit your job until you've built your business on the side and things right, like I've that. I've heard and like, I'm, make sure you have like six months salary saved up yeah. until you have five full-time clients. And I'm just, I don't know if I could do that. Yeah. There's no one way to do it because there's so many variables that go into it. Like one, someone might have a supportive partner. Two, someone might have supportive family that can help them financially and are willing to do that. Right. That, that changes things. Other people won't. Some mm-hmm. people will, you know, can tolerate their job. So maybe they could <laughs> launch something on the side. Other people like me couldn't. Right. Um, and for me, I just, well, I was in a high powered like, sales job. And the thing is with sales, it's not nine to five. It's right. until you target. That's all you can think about. Mm-hmm. So I just didn't have the energy. And because I was doing something that was so out of alignment, I also wasn't in the right headspace or mental place to even say, what do I even want? Because I just didn't feel like me. Mm-hmm. So I had a lot of healing work to do first. So I think you just have to start on a journey of self-discovery. And I think the first thing I would tell you to do is probably something that you wouldn't think of. And that is to reconnect with something that brought you joy as a child. Mm -hmm. Because the chances are, if you're not enjoying your job, you're probably not experiencing much joy. And you need to get into a bit of that headspace to start to know, okay, I like this. I'm passionate about this. Because otherwise you kind of just block it and you lose yourself. Mm -hmm. So for me, I started playing tennis again. And suddenly I, rem- I connect that. with that feeling, oh, this is enjoyment. I want more of this. And then subconsciously mm-hmm. law of attraction kicks into place and you'll start to bring more of this. So funny to suggest that, but that would be the first step, I would say. And then you also just need to decide on your personal circumstances. One, do you have a business mm-hmm. idea? Two, is it doable to build it up on the side of your job? Because that is the ideal scenario, the perfect sure. one is to make enough income so you just seamlessly quit your job and just fly. <laughs> yes. But it's just lose this really. salary and make this salary with no gap yeah. in between. And if you can do that, great. But most of the time it's not realistic. So the other option is to do what I did and save mm-hmm. for an escape fund. Because usually if you're in corporate, yes, you don't have time, but you probably have money or mm-hmm. you can cut down in some ways to free up some money. And instead of saving for a house, which is what a lot of my friends are doing at the time, I put it into an escape fund. And Mm -hmm. that I saw as an investment, almost like paying for an MBA. Right. Right. I love that idea. And you said that when you were in Bali, after you had done freelance and you'd done the consulting, you'd done the full-time and the drop shipping, and you were like, okay, hang on, what do I actually want to do? Is that when you started doing tennis? What else, you know, what else did you kind of do to say like, what is my dream job? Oh, so the tennis was way back when, when I was in London, and I was still in my job. Like there was, there has been You're so playing much. Tennis, like I hate my job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there has been so much personal growth work that I've done since I quit that job. And I've evolved and grown so much. And I think this is the other thing. You have to do the work on yourself because mm-hmm. the main reason being is, 
we have been so conditioned and we need to go through this period of deconditioning and Bali is great for that because it doesn't operate in the same way as a Western culture. So you really can distance yourself from it. So I did so many things here, like working with a coach. I even went to a Tantra retreat in Ubud, which was amazing for my own kind of sense of self and self-love in that way and learning to kind of slow down and things, not not kind of what you would think. And there were just so many things that went into getting to that point where I knew myself enough Mm -hmm. to be like, what is it that I actually want to do? But you have to go internally and ask yourself some big questions and almost unpeel the layers of conditioning, which takes time and takes Mm -hmm. professional work and takes a lot of of hard work, really, and and determination. Yeah. When you found the thing was it like a light bulb moment or did it kind of come piece by piece um I think I just had the feeling of this this entity of this thing that just helps women leave their corporate jobs and do work they care about and really for me this the actual core mission comes from a belief that I think that the world is not set up correctly at the moment and right it's been set up by men in the past and it doesn't provide a platform where women can thrive and the main Mm -hmm. thing of of this is what we chatted about on on my podcast around I could see women around me in the office who had young kids just come back from maternity leave and they don't they didn't spend time with them growing up and it was breaking my heart and I was like I do not want this for myself why should any woman have to put herself through that or man for that for that record yeah and also so I, there was a lot of like sexism that I experienced in banking and, and things that Holy. I just didn't was right. So I my solution to that in my head is let's take out high achieving women from these toxic corporations, get them to create their own corporations or small yes. business, create their own cultures. Mm-hmm. And that's how we create equality. That's how we change the world, not kind of pushing against this boulder of something that you don't mm-hmm. even really want to be in right so why don't just step out and let the boulder roll away exactly and I was like I want to help that and I want to encourage that and I want to encourage more people to do that than otherwise would so that was the mission and then I just built the things in and the you know the vehicles in terms of the offers and the programs from that so I think once you know your why and you are literally so connected to that why it all comes I'm not saying it was easy, but it yeah. but it comes to you relatively easily. You can make the decisions relatively easily. Right. And what was, walk me through the first things that you started offering because the retreat didn't come until a little bit later. So yeah. what did you do after you had that why you're like, okay, how am I actually going to deliver this to the people who need it? Yeah. So I also, I certified as someone in funnel building. So I learned, okay. all, I, know, I know sales, but I didn't necessarily know it from that specific online funnels situation. So I wanted to right. learn about that. One key thing I learned there was that 2% of your email list on the whole converts. Mm. So really it's just maths. If you want to make a certain amount per month, then you can do the maths to see okay, my price of my program is going to be this. This means I need to bring in this amount of people on my email list for 2% of people to buy that then makes that amount of money. Right. So I thought, right, I'm on zero. (laughs) (laughs) So that's not going to make me any money. (laughs) So I need to build up my email list to a point before I sell. 
Right. So I started with my podcast, mm-hmm. um, having the conversation and built up the audience to a point mm-hmm. where I was like, right, this is a healthy number. Now if 2% yeah. people buy, I feel good about it. Mm-hmm. And so I delivered value for about, I think it took me about three months. And then I launched my first program and made 9k off my first launch so yeah I was really pleased with that but the maths worked right yeah correct yeah I I actually feel so empowered by the math I mean I think you can be discouraged sometimes because you're like I have a hundred people on my email list so if two percent of them buy I'm going to get two people buying you know but it's also all you have to do is increase the number at each stage and that number goes up like I feel super empowered by that was that so yeah. exciting to be like, oh my gosh, I did it. Like I did it and it worked. Oh, it literally shifted everything in me. It, it was like, right, this is validation that I'm on the right track. Let's do this. Like, this is amazing. And I just, I also just felt so grateful for those clients that took the chance on me at that yeah. time because, you know, it was my first one. And so, and they've gone on to do incredible things. So I was so proud of that. But one thing I must say is that what you just said, for anybody listening who feels disheartened, like, oh, I've only got like 50 on my email list. Mm-hmm. I would actually say to you to just learn from this that getting traffic is one of the biggest things you can do to bring mm-hmm. income into your business. And if you're not focusing on bringing more people into email list, you need to restructure what you're doing in your business. Mm-hmm. Because at the start, these are the priorities. Revenue generation is the priority, right? And yes. so have a look where what things are you spending time on that are not making money for you and switch that out because you can get hundreds into your email list each month just with some tra- like strategic tweaks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's Organic. huge. Right, mm-hmm. right. Yeah, that's without paying for ads. That's just no ads. Yeah. smarter about it, you know? And then if yeah. you can throw ads on top of that, you can see how that number just grows exponentially. Exactly, yeah. I love that. So what was the next thing that you did after you had the 9K launch? Kind of where did things grow from there? Yeah. So I, well, I focused on client delivery because that was a big thing. I had, I had nine people to hold at that point and I wanted to do a really great job because it's the other thing when you do something for the first time, you, it's so important to, there's so many things that you learn from that. You learn how was best to run it? Where did people get stuck? What part of it do I need to improve? Like, for example, mm-hmm. people got a bit behind on week five. So then I knew, okay, week for five, week five was a bit of a jump. I need to like add something in there, maybe split it up. And then also you just want to do a really good job because you want them to get results and you want to get great testimonials so that you can bring more women into it. So you can have more right. of an impact. So I really did focus on that. I then relaunched it again the next month. So I had some another cohort come in and join them as well. Mm-hmm. And then I would just say for a few months, I just focused on delivering. And I love that. Now I understood what systems I needed. I focused on kind of adding some systems into it as well. Mm-hmm. And then also my one-to-one coaching, I like booked that out too. I love that. And then when did the retreat come into place. And when did you get the idea for the retreat? Was that something that you always wanted to do or did it just come to you one day? Yeah. So I always wanted to do it because I I realized like the power of being in Bali, there's something about being here that really forces you to shift and confront a lot of things about what you really want to do. And it's just powerful, like being somewhere like this because it's so inspiring Mm -hmm. because it's so beautiful. 
people everywhere. So I wanted to show people this experience. And I also knew that that is a pivotal time when you are feeling miserable in your home, (laughs) city, in job, and there doesn't seem to be any solution. The solution is to just take yourself out of it and see what opportunities come. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted to create this mixture of healing, wellness, and coaching so yeah. that people could kind of feel healed and better about themselves and learning more about themselves, but also with like an action plan to take mm-hmm. home so that then maybe one day they would be joining my programs or working with me one-to-one and we could actually like get their business off the ground. So this is right. like a bit of work to do before that. Sometimes you're just not ready. So right. that idea came in. I think I already always had it, but I didn't feel confident enough to deliver on it until I was just like, yeah, screw it. I'm going to do it, put it up, launched it. And yeah, I had five incredible women join me in Bali back in May. I love that. I'm so curious about the back end of your business. Do you run your business solely by yourself? Do you have employees? How does that work? So I obviously started off on my own right system is like my jam as well I'm I'm very I'm all about just getting it done and being as efficient as possible mm-hmm. so I hired my OBMs when did I hire my OBMs maybe in October last year so maybe okay. like six seven months ago mm-hmm. and they set up a lot of systems for me and yeah. I also hired an assistant back then as well okay now none of them are working for me anymore. And it's not because they didn't do a great job. They did a great job. What I think I realized was I was quick to hire people to do things, but I didn't have the time to flesh out what was the optimal process for me and get them Mm -hmm. to implement on it. And so some of the processes that have been built wouldn't have necessarily been my choice. And Mm -hmm. that was my mistake because I didn't have the time to even think strategically how is this going to look yeah so whilst they've done an amazing job and I recommend everyone just be careful about the time that you hire and the Mm -hmm. VA as well I was so bottlenecking the business that I just Mm -hmm. I need some help need some help didn't even really have time to train her properly and so I didn't really set her up for success so that's the other thing like now I have a, an assistant that I've laid out the pr- processes for and right. she does a great, but that's the one thing you can't sort of just hire and then, then they're going to fix everything. Yes. You have to really almost invest more of your time initially for the first few months to then see it back. Yes. I have had the exact same experience with so many incredible people that I've hired. It's not on them in any way, but I realized I'm actually not prepared to spend the time that you need to set you up for success. And so same thing. I do have now a web developer that I work with where same thing, like I took the time to set up the process right. And now we are such a dream team. I was just telling my husband, I love it so much that I have somebody that I can trust to do things the way that I want them to be done. But yeah, yeah, it's it's not always something that like, I'll just hire somebody on Instagram today and get it done, you know? Yeah, yeah, 100%. And I also have some support coaches that help me in, on my programs because then it's like less of the Susie show, right? So right. I, I love them into my programs. I love that idea too, because like you said, it is a collective. And so it's not just your 
perspective or your voice, but the voice of other people and other coaches as well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I love that. Okay. So tell me what's next for your business. Where do you want to take the female leadership collective? Yeah. So to be honest, I'm focused kind of for the next like year on just doing a really great job with what we have. Mm -hmm. So this is the other important thing. Like I don't want to get shiny object syndrome. I just really want to deliver over mm-hmm. deliver on the on the offers that we have so we've got our retreat our next retreat is in October in okay. Bali so that's coming up and then I'll be holding another one in May so I'm going to be doing two a year which is really that. exciting and then I'm focusing on my signature program launch academy which is our 12-week business accelerator for people who are just beginning or freelancers who want to create more of a scalable kind of business model and that I'm just launching over and over again and and just refining that putting lots of women through it launching businesses through it and that's just really going to be my focus and just the aim here is to get laser focused on those things and just do a really great job yeah have you ever thought about moving back to London no (laughs) (laughs) you're like never so actually I went back two weeks ago I was back for a friend's wedding I was a bridesmaid and I've got to admit like it's hard being there obviously the wedding was wonderful and seeing all my friends but everyone is so conditioned to play so small and it's kind Mm. of frightening to see that when because I was I was in Bali during the pandemic right so I haven't lived in that way of living for about four years and so going back and just sort of seeing the way that people talk to themselves and the way Mm. the possibilities they see for themselves is quite frightening what that's doing to people people's minds in terms of them not believing that they can do anything different and then on the flip side you're out here in Bali everybody is trying to live their dream life people don't settle for things and when you're in that environment you can see what would happen right it's like kind of difficult to avoid it right well and speaks to the power of what you're offering which is a community of people who are all doing that yeah and see how the people that you surround yourself will dictate what you actually do because that's what you believe is possible so it's like the best thing you can do is surround yourself with people who are like start that business do that thing nothing is buy a one-way ticket to bali yeah and that's the thing with women we're so we are really like we love community we love connection Mm -hmm. and i think a woman is more likely to make a success of something if she's doing it alongside her friend And they're not doing the same business necessarily, but they're on the same journey. Mm -hmm. And so I saw that quite early on. And I was like, this is important because this is going to help everybody's success. And it goes back to that quote of you're the average of the five people you hang around with. And if you want something and you look at the five people that you hang around with and none of them have it, Mm -hmm. you're going to be going against some real resistance. Whereas if you Mm -hmm. can go to a place where there's people around that have what you want, you're just going to naturally kind of move towards that. And I see that being the difference between being in London and being around a load of corporate people versus being in Bali. There's not really any corporate people. Everybody's an entrepreneur. And it does. It it stretches you. It helps Mm -hmm. you grow. And it it doesn't become so abnormal. Mm -hmm. I love that. Okay, so I have two final questions for you that are related. As the CEO of your business, what do you feel is one of your greatest strengths? Where do you feel like your zone of genius really lies? 
And what's something that is a challenge for you that's, you know, really an area of growth or I don't want to say struggle, but something that you're working on that doesn't come as naturally to you? Can you speak to those mm-hmm. two? Yeah, I would say my strength is sales and teaching people about sales, but in a way that feels aligned because mm. I think, again, to your question before, another thing is that women have seen a lot of the Silicon Valley bro male kind of sales thing. Well, think you think that, that in order yeah, to be a salesperson, it has to look a yeah. certain way. They think that you have to say things like that and that's how it works. And oh my God, it just doesn't. Mm. If that's not how you naturally communicate, it won't work for you because mm-hmm. the other person feels so off. <laughs> so I like to help people unlock their ability to sell in like a really authentic mm-hmm. way and kind of just let them know that it's just about making friends. You don't <laughs> need to be doing all this stuff or feeling like you haven't got it or you're not a salesperson. So mm-hmm. that's my strength, I would say. And then my something that I want to work on, I think it would be actually at the moment, I had someone on podcast yesterday talking about nutrition. This might not be the answer you're expecting. <laughs> but I I realize at this point in my business, and you might you might know how this feels is that my energy levels directly correlated to my performance in business. And when you've kind of got to the point where you've got your business kind of running, Mm -hmm. way to grow is just really protecting your energy levels because that's what influences how much action you take. That's what influences your ability to make confident decisions quite quickly. And I'm realizing these things that I hadn't thought of around the food that I eat and like things like this are Mm -hmm. directly correlated to to this so I'm trying to learn more and more about like nutrition and even just like hormones and things like this so that I can really feel more energized in my business and this actually funnily enough came from my retreat I hired motion fitness foods and they're really really clean healthy mm-hmm. foods and I would always think healthy foods a bit boring but right. they make so many amazing delicious healthy food and that's all, all I was eating that week mm-hmm. and then by the end of the week I felt amazing oh I yeah like, I want this I want this every day I want most energy levels every day and I was like yeah. I need to learn way more about this so that's something that I'm trying to improve on at the moment 100% I'm in the same position where you realize okay if I am to be the CEO of this business, I've got to have CEO energy. I've got to have CEO time. And what that looks like for me is I can't be running around like a chicken with my head cut off. I need to relax. I need to sleep. I need to eat. I need to take an actual lunch. Yeah. Sit at my computer while I watch some training or something. So I completely understand that. I think that's actually great advice. And yeah. that goes back to what makes you good at what you do is taking care of yourself. Yes. And almost just seeing your body, your body is essential for success mm-hmm. in this. We need to treat our bodies with self-love by nourishing it in, in so many ways, because as an entrepreneur, we're doing things that so many people aren't prepared to do. And it has a lot of battles and it has a lot of highs and lows. And so we do need to make sure our body is as qu- equipped as possible for the ride, right? So this is something that I'm really, really like focusing on. I love that. Thank you so much. Tell us before we close where we can find you and connect with you if we want to learn from you in the future. 
Yeah. So our Instagram handle is at Female Leadership Collective. And our website is also femaleleadershipcollective.com. And I also, if anyone is looking to come to Bali, I've also got a female digital nomad Bali guide for free if anyone wants to download that. So I'll send you the link to that, Rebecca. And um, it's like a 50 page guide about life in Bali and all these useful tips. So hopefully that will be good for your listeners if they're thinking about coming out. That sounds amazing. I know I'm so tempted. In another life, I would be an eat, pray, love. I would be there in a heartbeat. Yeah, you'll have to come for a holiday one time. Oh my gosh. Yes, that would be so fun. Well, thank you so much for joining us and we'll talk to you soon. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's so much fun. Thanks for joining us today. We hope you enjoyed listening to Aesthetically Speaking. If you want to support the podcast, please leave us a nice review or connect with us on Instagram at Rebecca Peterson Studio. 